Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hi, this is Joe Castellano from thesportsvirus.com. Welcome to the Inside China Basin San Francisco Giants baseball podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. Featuring players like all-star catcher Buster Posey. It's about, you know, just going out and, and trying to have passion for the game that I've loved since I was a kid. Inside China Basin is brought to you by Sun First Solar, known for delivering solar excellence since 1984 and recently voted best solar company in Marin County. We're also brought to you by TPC Harding Park, the only public golf course in San Francisco, offering golfers the opportunity to play where the pros play. Coming up, we're going to hear from Steve Bicker from KCBS Radio in San Francisco and Jeremy Affeld, three-time World Series champion for the San Francisco Giants. But first, I want to tell you about my favorite golf course, TPC Harding Park in San Francisco. TPC Harding Park is now open and accepting tee times at tpc.com slash Harding Park. And TPC Harding Park is also pleased to announce the 2020 PGA Championship has been rescheduled for August the 3rd through the 9th. For additional information, visit tpc.com slash Harding Park or feel free to contact 102PGA at pgahq.com. Here's a conversation I had on Thursday with Steve Bitker from KCBS Radio in San Francisco. Well, Steve, uh, you know, times have changed for everybody. And at KCBS, you're doing reports from home. So tell us a little bit about how different that is. And are you enjoying that? Yeah, uh, Joe, it's really different. I mean, all of us at KCBS, with the exception of one news anchor uh, per shift, uh, we're all working from home. You know, in the morning drive, Stan Bunker's uh, in the studio, and then an afternoon drive, it's Patty Rising. But everybody else, the other anchors, they're at home, um, and all the reporters are at home. And so it's really different. And we had no advance warning. I mean, you know, I finished up uh, my last Friday shift at the station. I knew that there was a lot of talk about us working remotely from home. But suddenly the news director calls me on Sunday morning and says, you know, I'm bringing over some equipment tonight <laughs> and you'll be working from home starting on Monday. And so this is the 10th week now of um, working at home. And, you know, it's going smoothly. It started a little rough. We were dealing with, you know, um, kind of echo sounds and I was working out of different rooms, even working out of my car in the garage for a couple of days, you know, with padding all around, just trying to create, you know, a good studio effect. And finally, we made just a really minor technical adjustment after running out of ideas. I had the one of our engineers over here, and then suddenly everything worked. So it's been fine. It's been fine. Uh, it's amazing. People say, what do you talk about? Because there's no games. And yet, you know, every morning I find stuff. In fact, I start saving stuff in the late afternoon and evening at home. You know, I find stuff online and, and start pocketing stuff for the next morning. There was one night where it was time to go to sleep, and my wife said to me, so so you got your stuff for tomorrow morning? And I said, Alice, I got nothing. <laughs> Literally, I had, I had no stories for the next morning. She says, what are you going to do? And I said, I'm going to look for stuff when I wake up. So, you know, and at the beginning, I had like one or two stories at 545, and then I just started building stuff, and by 10 or 11, I was packed. So, you know, so far, so good. 
Yeah, when there are no games going on, you know, it can be difficult. And we're going to talk about Major League Baseball and their plan in a minute. But I did hear one of your reports the other day, and you had my good friend Doug Greenwald on, and he's a longtime yeah. minor league announcer. He's been in AAA for a very long time. And it was interesting. Seven, seven, 17 years. 17 years. and Se- it was, 17, 17 years with the Fresno team. Wow, that is a long time. Of course, the, the son of Hank Greenwald, the great Giants yeah. announcer, and it, it was interesting listening because it, it's sad when you think about the minor leagues and how they're not going to have a season, and and uh, teams are losing money, and we don't know if it'll ever be the same. That's boy, that's the point that Doug really, really underscored. This on top of the fact that Major League Baseball wanted to contract uh, some of the minor league teams anyway, basically cutting a uh, one rookie league level team from each franchise, so they were already reducing the number. And now you've got some other consolidation that's likely to take place. Doug even mentioned the possibility that Fresno will become a California League uh, franchise when all is said and done, losing its AAA affiliation. So, I I mean, for Doug, that'll make travel easier, I suppose. But, you know, still, I'm sure he'd rather be doing AAA baseball than single A. He also said that the Northwest League is likely to move from a short-season rookie league operation to a full-season California league because MLB, in its effort to want to cut expenses, doesn't want Western teams having uh, Class A operations on the East Coast or in the Midwest. So we may be seeing cities like Vancouver and um, what Salem, Kaiser, Oregon, and and uh, Eugene being full-season um, single-A, uh, Northwest uh, full-season uh, franchises. Well, speaking of short season, uh, I actually worked in the Northwest League for a couple of years when it was short season and before you know all this talk of, of being a full season. And Major League Baseball is talking about having a season which would be kind of similar to what I experienced in the Northwest League where we had 76 games. They're talking about 82 games. And I got to tell you, Steve, I'm really apprehensive about this whole plan. I know the players are looking at the proposal now and there's economic uh, talk, uh, you know, considerations. And, and that's that's a whole other ball game. The part I'm concerned about is the health part. I just can't imagine they're going to get through even 82 games without running into an issue with the plan that they're talking about where they're, they're not uh, isolating the way they initially talked about. They talked about maybe, you know, having teams in Arizona, players taking their own car to the ballpark. And it was going to be, I think, a little bit safer than what they're talking about now where they would be getting on planes and buses. And that's where the danger lies. I'm really apprehensive about it. What do you think? Yeah, I'm apprehensive about it, too. I mean, most of my friends who are sports fans, you know, I, when I run into them, uh, I'll ask them, you know, are you excited about baseball possibly coming back? And uniformly, the answer is yes, 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 yes. <laughs> um, and I'm like you. Um, I'm a big sports fan. I love watching games. Um, I've been following baseball in Korea. I really haven't watched any games more than a few minutes here or there. But I every morning, you know, I look up the scores and look up the major leaguers, ex-major leaguers, and how they're doing and what they're doing. But uh, But I would prefer it if, MLB and the NBA and the NFL and the NHL didn't return this year at all for the same reasons you're talking about. I just think it's just way too early for that. But, you know, because of the leadership in the White House, you have so many states 
opening its doors and trying to get back to normal long before they should. Most of these states have COVID curves that are still going up or at least have leveled off, but they're not going down. And, uh, you know, when people see the president um, say liberate Michigan and liberate this state and liberate that state, and he doesn't wear a mask. I mean, you've seen the videos over the Memorial Day weekend. It's just appalling. And so I'm not suggesting that the major sports are not uh, taking all the health considerations seriously. But, yeah, I share your same concerns, uh, uh, very, very much so. I mean, it's interesting. You you contrast this with Japan. Japan's uh, starting its baseball season June 19th. But the difference is Japan got a really quick handle on COVID-19, which the U.S. obviously didn't, jumping on board you know, with serious action after a two-month lapse. And Japan's had only 850 deaths with a nationwide population of 126 million. We've had nearly 100,000 deaths, deaths, and our population is between two and a half and three times that of Japan. So the U.S. has less than three times the population of Japan, but more than 100 times the number of deaths. You know, I think we're reopening too fast. And, uh, you know, I have concerns paralleling that with uh, the sports. And yet I understand where the motivation comes from. It doesn't come so much from, you know, some noble gesture to try to give people who are sheltering at home something to watch. It's, as you mentioned, it's economics. You know, the players want to get paid. The owners want to make money. And uh, the networks, the TV networks want to make money. And that's driving all of it. There's so much to think about, Steve. I mean, first of all, I love the idea of the sprint. I mean, I think that would be exciting, no doubt about that. But every other thought that comes to my head is is kind of a negative. I mean, if you don't have all of your players, for one thing, because I think there are going to be some players that are going to say, it's too dangerous, I'm not going to do it. You don't have fans yep. in the stands. You don't have fans. I mean, it's almost like, what's the point? Yeah, I understand the television, but going to ball games is the reason why you have a ball game is because you have people attending it. So, you know, there's just a lot there that that's negative. And, and to me, Steve, the biggest one is that it could start and then stop in the middle and then and not continue. And if you don't feel confident that it could go all the way through, why even do it? And I, I think there's there's going to be that angle of <laughs> we, we may have to stop in the middle. And if you're feeling that way at all, uh, then I don't know why you would start it. Yeah, Blake Snell, of course, said, you know, I'm, I'm not I'm not doing this. And the way he said it, you know, obviously it was bad optics. It didn't come across well. Right. But I understood I understood his sentiment. He's looking at it and going, OK, let's see. Um, I'm not going to get paid as much as I would normally get paid. And yet I'm putting my life at risk, as is everybody else around me. And he's saying, why would I do that? It doesn't make sense. I think most fans who want baseball back don't really take a close, detached look at, you know, the risks that all these athletes are putting themselves through. And I think there's a high percentage, I don't know what it is, of athletes who just say they want to play ball and, uh, you know, they trust what they're being told. I mean, they've always been like that. That's what they do. That's what they do for a living. And every day they take the field you know, to some degree or another, they put their lives on the line, they put their bodies on the line. So they're used to that. And But some others, I think, are looking deeper at it. I mean, Mike Trout, I mean, he, his wife is due to give birth, I think, in August. You know, and he has talked about, you know, his concerns about 
coming back and, you know, um, and risking not just his own health, but that of his wife and his newborn child. And I mean, totally, I totally understand that and get that. And, you know, as you said, at, at one point they were talking about all major league teams playing in sort of bubble type environments in Arizona and Florida. Yeah. I think at one point they were talking about all of them in Arizona. Right. And this is similar to what the NBA is doing with a bubble type environment at Disney World, which, you know, if they're going to do it, that seems like a plausible way. But, you know, at the same time, I mean, we, we had on a Tampa Bay Rays beat writer on the air with us on Monday. Um, and because the Tampa Bay Rays were the first team, I think, on Monday morning, yesterday morning that actually opened up the stadium for limited player workouts. And, right. you know, and he, he had his apprehensions also. I mean, he, you know, he said, you've got so many players and support personnel on the team that have to follow strictly, you know, multiple pages of rules and regulations to ensure that everybody stay healthy. All it takes is for one person to slip. Or one person to, you know, not do anything wrong, but somehow come down with a virus. And as you say, it puts everything on hold. I mean, you could have certain teams that can't play anymore, but you could have other teams that are still playing. It's just, and yet the concerns I have for baseball pale in comparison to the concerns I have for college football in the NFL because of the nature of the sport. It's a contact sport like no other, and it's a contact disease. I mean, talk about talk about a, a, a you know a proposal and an idea that's got multiple red flags written all over it yeah. football <laughs> i know as joe starkey says on our air yikes <laughs> yikes i i agree with that sentiment uh to finish up and and we're uh preceding a conversation i had with jeremy affelt who won three world series rings and i think this has sort of given us an opportunity to steve to uh, reflect back on those Giants World Series teams, maybe have an even greater appreciation of those teams. I I know that during this uh, pandemic, the last couple of months, I've watched so many classic games. I mean, I was watching the 1986 World Series. That was really cool. Uh, But you think back to those Giants teams, and uh, I think it's given us a really good opportunity to, to sort of reflect on it and appreciate it. Not just the Giants, the Warriors. I mean, the the Warriors are obviously more recent, but I don't think anybody has any illusions about uh, the Warriors being as strong as they were in uh, 2015, you know, 14, 15 through uh, 2017, 18. I mean, those days are gone. Um, You know, if if Andrew Wiggins uh, becomes a great player with the Warriors, which is very, very possible, and you've got the big three, although they're aging a bit, you know, if you can put a dominant center on the court with these guys and have a decent bench, uh, they could certainly be a playoff team and maybe a contender. But boy, the dominant teams that they had, you know, that's something that we'll always look back on with incredible memories. Like you mentioned, the Giants of 2010, 12 and 14. And now we haven't even gotten a chance to see what new manager Gabe Kapler can do. I mean, he, he gets hired. Uh, you've got this new regime, and, and it's just put on hold. So everybody's left to just wonder what kind of a manager he will be. The great thing about Kapler, he's, he's an internal optimist, and he's got you know tons of energy, and both of those will be necessary for any attempt 
to get this baseball season going. And, and, you know, I, like you, have some experience with 80-game seasons, or I guess when I did the Independent Western League up in Roner Park, those were 90-game seasons. So everything is condensed. And, uh, you know, if it happens, it'll be intriguing and interesting to watch. I've watched enough highlights, mostly, from Taiwan and the KBO. And even without fans in the stands, you know, you still hear cheering and applause <laughs> because you've got, the, you've got the players, you can hear them. You've got team personnel, you hear them. And at least in Taiwan and in um, South Korea and in Japan shortly, you've got cheerleaders on the dugouts. <laughs> so it's part of baseball in Asia. So, you know, you still hear noise. It's not the same, but it's not like it's, uh, you know, totally quiet either. Well, that's going to be very interesting to see what happens. Well, Steve, thanks a lot for the time. Uh, good luck to you. Uh, hopefully there will be sports at some point for you to talk about a little bit more. But like you said, the, sport, the sports stories that you're putting out there, we appreciate that. And uh, stay safe, my friend. You too, Joe. You too. That's Steve Bitker from KCBS Radio in San Francisco. Coming up, we're going to hear from Jeremy Affelt, the former Giants left-handed reliever, right after this. Jones goes back, back near the wall, shading the sun, and he dropped it. He lost the ball in the sun. Let's put the sun to good use at home with a Sun Power residential solar system. Your Sun Power elite dealer, Sun First Solar, has a wide range of financing options, and they provide the finest customer service from start to finish, regardless of size or scope. Sun First Solar offers the highest efficiency systems, newest technology, and the best warranty in the world. Sun First Solar offers the most competitive price, while not compromising on quality. This summer, let the sun heat your pool and eliminate your energy bill. Don't drop the ball. Call Sun First Solar at 415-458-5870. That's 415-458-5870. And get your Sun Power solar system today. Jeremy Affelt won three World Series championships with the San Francisco Giants. And I had a chance to chat with him back in March, a conversation that I know folks that are on the Believe Podcast Network didn't have a chance to hear. So let's go back and revisit the chat I had with Jeremy Affelt a couple of months ago. Well, Jeremy, thanks a lot for joining us. Uh, a lot of people are sitting home, and uh, I think this will help a little bit to kind of go down memory lane. And I wanted to start with, you know, I've been thinking about this lately, just being home for the last week, the adjustment that major league players have to make when they retire and you've gone through retirement and you know you slid into the broadcasting field and I'm sure that was a a nice transition to to be able to make right away but for a lot of players I mean it's not easy to uh, go from being on the field and the excitement of that the intensity of that and try to replace that uh, in retirement so how do you deal with it how did you and and what about some of your teammates uh, that have retired? Uh, be honest with you, man. I still don't think I've dealt fully with it. It's a really hard transition. It's been year, it's five years now, and I'm still trying to figure out what I'm wanting to do. And 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 I think the tough thing a lot of times for some guys, not all guys, but some guys, when they played long enough in the game, they financially they made enough money where they don't have to do anything, right? Yeah. So, but the the tough part of that is is some of those guys are like 35, 33, 36, 37. You can't not do anything. And, but it's hard because you're trying to figure out what you want to do, but you don't have to, there's no like, um, sense of urgency to find something to do. 
And so then you go from all of that to, but but you don't want to be 37 years old and just sitting around playing golf all day. Like that can't happen. Like there's no way a player that was driven to compete as hard as we're driven to compete and to go into a situation where we're just not competing. And now we have no agenda and we have no goals and to transition into something like that and then try to figure out how to re re maybe regen that up or try to find a new hobby or even a new type of biz- business is very hard to do. And, and I think anybody that's ever transitioned or retired would be able to tell you, it doesn't matter if you do it when you're 35 or do it when you're 60, 65, when you do something for so long and then all of a sudden it stops, it's really hard to not still want to do it. And that's why you do see a lot of guys get into the media world and talk about the game or coaching. I, mean, I, I used to actually think when I played, like, well, these guys they run businesses, they have a business and they made $100 million. Why would they start a business? Well, when you retire, you figure out that because they need something to do. You know, they need yeah. something to keep them active, to keep their brain going, to give them goals. And we're so trained a certain way to in and have goals and that's what we do we start a business or like i'm in the process now in the next over the next few months or a year i'm going to start a brewery here in texas where i'm at because i i enjoy, breweries. I enjoy what they mean to the community i enjoy what they mean uh to give back scenarios and and you know being a part of the 21st amendment doing fundraisers there it has really stirred something in me and i want to have a brewery that does well and it has good beer but also brings a good and community environment so it's kind of like that's what i'm about so that's what I want to try to create. I want to try to create a, a, a community of people that enjoy hanging with each other and can go chat about life in a safe environment over a beer and, 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 and stuff like that. So it is something you just say, yeah, I just want to start, start something new. I want to try something. And I, but I also want to be a part of baseball because it's kind of ingrained in me. And I want to give some of my advice or even in my thoughts of what I see from a perspective of a guy that didn't play 30 years ago, but played five years ago. And, and, and so that's why I'm, I'm a part of that, that, that media world in baseball because of that perspective. So it's fun, but it's also very confusing and very difficult uh, to be honest with you. Well, that is really cool about the brewery. I wish you the best of luck on that one. Uh, and as far as the broadcasting is concerned, tell us about, you know, going into it after being a player. It, you know, it seems like a natural transition, but a lot of people don't realize that broadcasting is not easy. Uh, tell us a little bit about your broadcasting journey and what you'd like to do in the future. Well, I enjoyed broadcasting. I actually enjoyed doing everything about it. Uh, I didn't stop doing broadcasting on my own uh, desire. I, I, to be perfectly honest with you, I don't really hide a whole lot of it. That the team president and I had a difference of opinion. He didn't think my heart was in it, and I thought it was. And I wanted more games, and he didn't want me to come back. And there's no rhyme or reason to why he did what he did, in my opinion. I, I, I he just didn't. He said he wanted to go a different route, uh, which I thought was very unfortunate. And and to me, he didn't use wisdom in that decision. But I, I do think that I did like um, what I got after that. I got some YouTube. Power the YouTube games on TV, which was phenomenal. I got to do it with Eric Burns, and, and we had a great time. It was super fun, and I've enjoyed those games. I'm looking forward to doing I actually think I have a few more of those games. Well, I had them on the docket this year. Now we're trying to figure out the schedule based on this adjustment of doing more of those games. Uh, so I really enjoyed the broadcasting side of it. I, I still do. Um, unfortunately, it's not with the direct, but it, it'll be, you know, if it's the YouTube, I'll get to see – some of the way YouTube does it is that they like to have guys uh, do TV stuff for a team they played for. So for me, luckily, I have the Rockies, Royals, Reds, and Giants in those kind of games. And 
if I have, you know, if the YouTube is pulling some of those games, I might have an opportunity to call those games. So I was, I've been super excited about it. Uh, I do enjoy it because I do think it allows me to give my perspective on what I see and also perspective on what's really happening in the game. And, and, and I understand what goes on from a bullpen perspective. I understand how we watch the game. So for me, I enjoy giving a perspective from a bullpen mind on how I'm seeing the game unfold and, and how we're approaching hitters and, and different things like that. So I, I really enjoyed it. I hope I get to do more of it, um, but we'll see down the road. You know, you mentioned how the schedule is up in the air and everything is up in the air right now in our entire country. Uh, and the sports world is no exception. And, you know, with baseball, everybody's so used to a routine. Uh, you know how it is with spring training. And these guys were getting close to being ready for the regular season. And now they're just sitting there. What would you do in this situation, Jeremy? What have you heard about players, what they're doing uh, to try to stay ready for when there is a season? Oh, well, I can tell you one thing. I, I wouldn't, I, I don't know. I think it's uncharted territory for everybody. I really do. I think it's situations where how do we train for this? How do, if they're going to start, they, they, they're mentioning now April 6th, the season starts. Well, to me, it's like, well, man, how does that work? Like, I guess you're going to have to just say, hey, man, it's spring training for everybody. Everybody's still getting used to it. You're, you got to run, maybe they'll give you some extra guys to start the season where you can have like 30 guys or something just because there might not be some arms developed yet. But, man, you know, have to run it as I mean, it's tough because you have free agency years coming up and they don't want their numbers to suffer if they have to kind of start out slow and there's a lot of stuff that goes into play and how you're doing workouts can we go as a team if we only have groups of 10 if you're only allowed to have 10 people in an area at a time well can you can we say okay well, we're gonna have our 30 guys that we know are gonna either make the team or close and they come in at, for two hours three different times a day in group and work. I mean, it, it's going to be really weird. And and or do you let them work out at home? Do you let them go back? I mean, it's a very confusing time in sports. I think everybody's going to have to make the adjustments. The good thing is, it's not just one team, right? Everybody. So, uh, my biggest concern would be more uh, for the pitchers or arms being ready, competing, uh, getting their arms going, and and so it kind of keep those pitchers' arms ready is, is probably the biggest thing. I think hitters getting their bat speeds up to par. Stuff like that, you you can probably do that a little bit better than you know pitchers pitching under real time stress is a little different on their arms. So it, it just depends on how teams are going to want to work it. I'm sure they're having all the specialists and all the guys come in and try to figure this all out. Uh, but it is going to be uncharted waters for all all the sports, especially Major League Baseball, as it kind of hit at a, at a really tough time. Yeah, I'm probably looking at an abbreviated season, not 162 games, so that'll right. be different. You know, I wonder if this also takes the focus a little bit off the Astros because when the season started, I was thinking, you know, everywhere they go, they're going to get booed. I mean, I guess that would happen anyway here, but maybe the focus is taken off of that. I wondered about your reaction. I know I've heard a little bit. Uh, you did an interview with KMBR, and you talked a little bit about it, but just every player out there who wasn't on the Astros, I can only imagine what they think of what they were doing with the cheating and I wonder also how widespread it might have been more so than just the Astros doing that well I think that's what you've got to evaluate and all these players that are hitting the Astros or they're talking bad about the team and stuff like that you've got to be real careful you know I think there's a good value system out there there's a good quote that says be careful about removing the speck at you know the speck out of someone else's eye before you move the plank out of your own eye you know because the thing is, is you have to remember I don't think that the Astros is the only one doing it and I'm not saying that there's a lot of teams that were orchestrating it, but that doesn't mean there's players on any other teams that aren't cheating in some way, shape, or form. Relay, you know, all that stuff. So you, you want to point out the Astros and call them out and hit them and, and tell them how bad they are. Okay, there's going to be a point there on that, but there's other points of like, okay, well, come on, man. 
Like, I, if you, you're cheating is cheating. So how else do you cheat? I don't know. Are pitchers putting stuff on the ball? Are they, are they using other – you know, there's all kinds of stuff that you can qualify as cheating. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the toughest thing about this is they were using electronics that, we, that no team could avoid. Right. That was the biggest thing for me is like it wasn't like, you know, like a pitcher could have said, well, I could just not put something on the ball. And that's my own moral decision. Or uh, we got to be better at relaying signs from the catcher. We got to be ready at different signs. We got to be maybe I got to quit working on see how I'm tipping my glove or, or, or how I'm tipping pitches. Those kind of things are like controllable, right? Yeah. Well, this is an uncontrollable because no team could have avoided it. If, if they're using the technology for the replay to use to relay signs. It, that that that, that they're, they're, that's actually like to me that's that's pretty bad because you can't avoid that. There's no team that can adjust accordingly to that. So that to me is where it's tough uh, on that. But you know, if you want to go after the the players that did it, okay, you know, you you, you can hit them. Is it going to solve anything to hit somebody? No, it doesn't. It doesn't. You, you want to hit that guy in the ribs ten times? Hit him in the ribs ten times. But that's not going to bring the World Series back. That's not going to bring uh, take a ring away. That's not going to change the past. There's nothing going to change. And you hitting a guy in the ribs for cheating, if you were on a last-place team, that doesn't make any difference for you. You weren't going to win anyway. So you trying to solve that by you just hitting people. See what I'm saying? Like, yeah. Some things just need to be, hey, man, they got their hands slapped. They got in trouble. It was a conspiracy, whatever you want to call it. Move on because it's not going to change the past. And you're not really policing the game by hitting people for what they did with technology a couple years ago. The police in the game is like, hey, man, if I catch you tipping in the game, I'm going to hit you in the ribs, and I'm going to tell you to stop, and then you'll stop. You know, like, like that's kind of policing the game a little bit, but you're not policing the game by doing anything to them now. Like, that, it doesn't do anything. So, yeah, it's in the past. I, mean, I don't yeah. see the point in it. Right, you got to move yep. on from it. One thing right. that did crack me up, Jeremy, is when Jim Crane, the owner of the Astros, said it had no impact because anybody who's played the game, whether it be at the high level like you or any pitcher at any level, knows that it impacts the game. You know, how much does it oh, yeah. is my question to you because, yeah, I mean, you could have great stuff, but so much of it is that the hitter doesn't know what you're going to throw. Oh, man, the hitters are so good, especially hitting fastballs. If they know what's coming – if you don't have to sit on a fastball because you know a breaking ball is coming, it's really easy to hit it. <laughs> I mean, you might not hit it. You might not got a base hit. You hit on the screws. And your, 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 your ability as a hitter to hit with better impact, homer, double, line drive, single, moving guys over, contact, is a lot better if you know what's coming. That doesn't mean you won't hit it to somebody from now. I'm not saying that. I mean, I think everybody in baseball pretty much knew I'm a throw sinker at you 85% of the time. So that didn't mean I, I, they got hits on it. It's really <laughs> tough to get a sinker, right? But with nothing in the back of their head, if they say, okay, I know a curveball is coming from that ball, and I sit curveball, my curveball is going to be pretty easy to either take for a ball or hit pretty hard. So to me, it does have impact. So for the owner to say that, one, that's just an – I hope – I would want to say it's an ignorant comment, but I think Mr. Crane has been around long enough to know that it will bring an impact. So I don't think ignorance has anything to do with it bad comment to say and and and, and use it in, in a it just wasn't wise to say it because there's no truth to that speaking of impact uh one of the rules that's coming into play that's really going to have an impact is the three batter minimum 
uh, or you end the half inning for a pitcher. Uh, I heard you talking about this, Jeremy, and I totally agree that I think we're going to see a lot of players faking injury and illness. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, that's going to be a strategy, and that's too bad. I mean, that really makes a sham of it. And and I don't think that uh, this should have been instituted. I, I think that, you know, you've got a roster of pitchers that are there for a reason, and now all of a sudden you're going to sort of, you know, change everything there. Uh, what were your thoughts about it? Do you think that uh, we'll get used to it at some point? I don't know if you're used to it. I think you just deal with it, but you're going to have to, it's going to happen. There are going to be guys that are like, ah, you know, like I tweaked something or like, you know, something. It's just going to be what it is. There's going to be to where baseball, they might have to remove it because you can have injuries like that that doesn't leave you off for very long and get you pulled out of a game and you can't prove otherwise. You know, they'd say, hey, he felt something. He didn't, he didn't want to push it. You know, we'll ice him down and it'll probably be better tomorrow. Like, that happens all the time, right? So, and now if it happens to the same pitcher in the same sequence of pitchers every other game, I get that, right? I get that. But that doesn't mean in a big situation, in a really big game, that it's not going to happen. And so for me, if you're going to sit there and say it's a three-batter minimum, well, I mean, then you better have, then you better up the ability to have carry more pitchers on the roster so I have more options to go to for three batters. Like, you're not going to keep me down on the same, the same number of pitchers that I need to use you know, you got a lefty specialist I use for one one out, or 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 or, or and then move on and then go to the next guy. Well, then you better give me a, a more of a roster of guys that I can select from that can carry the ball longer, right? Into some innings. And and, and with baseball, I mean, maybe baseball it's going to backfire everywhere. So okay, so now I can't. I got to face a three player minimum. Well, now my contracts are going to be higher because now I'm not facing a one lefty at a time. Now I'm I'm facing potentially an inning, so I might get more innings out of it raises my contract status, uh, my holds are up there. I mean, everything's going to change. So you're going to see it's going to all roll back downhill. It's, uh, it's going to impact the game all the way around, financially, uh, strategically, uh, uh, skill-wise. All that stuff is going to change. And, and, and I think that that's where if you have a commissioner that, one, didn't play the game, two, is trying to be way too uh, forward in advance in changing the rules of a game that's been around a really long time, the strategy about how the game is played, it, that's the impact that you're going to have. And, and so what they're trying to do to the game is, is to me, well, I, I can't believe don't, the, that the players didn't agree to it, to be honest with you. So I don't even agree with, with, with Tony and those guys, players didn't agree to any of that because that's not okay because you have, you have a guy on staff right now on the players union that wouldn't even have had a job to be on the players union because he wouldn't have had a career if he wouldn't have been a lefty specialist. <laughs> if yeah. he had to face three guys at a time. So I don't understand how any of that could even be okay by the players' union. So that whole thing to me is, is, is a mystery in and of itself. Yeah, I mean, it would have eliminated uh, a guy like Javi Lopez. Now, for you, I mean, you faced yeah. you faced more of the right-handers, left-handers. You weren't just a lefty specialist. But, I mean, you know, Javi Lopez uh, built a career really on that, right? And it's a strategy that winning teams need. I mean, that guy was so important to the 2010, 12, 14 World Series. I mean, how he was used and the strategy in which he was used. I mean, all of that. Like, it, it, it literally changes a lot of the strategy that went into how we even won and how teams are winning. So a guy like Javi, yeah, he might not have a job, and now all of a sudden he was such an impact player. You're, you're, you're basically spitting in his face on that, saying, well, he wasn't that big of a deal. He was that big of a deal. And he was a big deal to the strategy on how people won and how, how teams won. And guys like him were very strategic in that. And that, that's super sad. We'll take a trip down memory lane with Jeremy Affelt right after this. 
We all know that solar systems make financial sense and environmental sense. And when it comes to choosing the best installation crew in the business, SunFirst Solar should be your first choice. SunFirst Solar has provided solar excellence since 1984. They are SunPower Elite Commercial and Elite Residential Installers with a reputation for technical excellence, innovative design, fair pricing, excellent customer service, and end-to-end quality and competence. SunFirst Solar is a family business devoted to treating their employees, customers, the community, and the environment with respect, and they are devoted to renewable energy and sustainability throughout the Bay Area. There is no roof or project that is too complicated. SunFirst has successfully installed solar on Spanish tile roofs, metal roofs, and very steep roofs. They also have extensive experience in solar ground mounts and solar pool heating. Competitive pricing, expert consultation, and the best warranty. Go local and get your SunPower solar system from SunFirst Solar today. Call SunFirst Solar at 415-458-5870. That's 415-458-5870. When it's time for new tires, you want the lowest prices and the best service, don't you? Well, Kane's Tire in San Rafael has you covered on both. Kane's has the lowest prices in Marin County, and they provide the warm and welcoming service that you can only receive from a family-run business. And this is a dependable family business that's been around for 61 years. Voted best of Marin for 35 years in a row, Kane's prices beat Costco's prices every time. Kane's Tire, 1531 4th Street in San Rafael. Give him a call at 415-453-2942. That's 415-453-2942 for Kane's Tire. I want to take a trip down memory lane, and uh, you guys are going to do that August the 16th if the schedule holds. Uh, There's a World Series reunion for the 2010 team, and I know you're really looking forward to that. Uh, One bit of controversy with that is that Aubrey Huff was not invited. Uh, He made some unacceptable comments on social media. They run counter to what the values of the Giants organization have. Uh, So what were your thoughts and other teammates that you've talked to about Huff not being invited? Well, I mean, I think a lot of players are going to have opinions that are differing from the team they played on. So to me, that's not necessarily a big deal. But when you make it public and then you, you do it the way you did it, uh, I could see how the team is like, you know what? Like, honestly, like we can't – it's going to bring too much distraction to the situation. And the team doesn't want any more bad publicity. They had too much going on last year from all the stuff going on outside of the field in the front office, you know. So they had so much stuff going on. They don't need more of it. And, and so what they need to do is they got to say, hey, look, we, if you're going to continue to do that, and social media, whether people like it or not, is a, is a voice. It is a voice that it becomes public and it, be, and it, and it leaves and it can damage a lot of situations. So you got to be careful what you say, what you post, all that stuff on social media. So, I mean, and people read into a lot of stuff that you say on social media, all that stuff, right? So when you have all that going down and then you put out kind of the stuff that he put out, the team is like, you know what? It's not worth it because we want to try to have a reunion here, and we we're trying to celebrate something that it could get very distracted because people, fans, city, all those people might react to the person, not to the team, and that's what you need to stay away from. And but you take the very opposite of that. We brought Timmy in last year for Bochy's thing when he walked out on the field. It uh, it, it lifted an entire stadium. I mean, you, I mean that guy has had such great impact on San Francisco. So you see how the one person, the person can actually do a lot of good or a lot of bad for an entire team. 
And so what they need to, what they were just trying to do, and I think that it was probably valuable at this point in time in this situation, uh, is possibly to say, you know what, we have to forego that because we just we just don't think any other distractions right now is, is going to be uh, needed. And they probably had to make a, you know, I talked to uh, a few guys uh, in the front office about it and, 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 and some ownership, and, and they explained it to me, and I, I completely understand and agree with what they did. It's just, you know, unfortunate for Aubrey he doesn't get to celebrate with the team that he won a World Series with but he kind of put himself in that position uh, to do that so yeah I mean I would imagine he's had these views for a long time but was he divisive at all when he was part of the team oh he was always I mean he he was for the team he was for the player he protected the player he you know he was he was his he was Aubrey right he he kind of he was unfiltered you know to be honest with you he's always been unfiltered but when it came to his teammates, he protected you. So, I mean, he didn't let anything, you know, he, 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 he knew what it was like to be a teammate. He knew it was like to, to you know, he kind of had his own personality within the team, and, and everybody accepted that. It, with the media, he was unfiltered, and, and he kind of rubbed people the wrong way. But when it came to the team, he, he was we're, we were all in it together at that point in time. He was not a problem by any means. You, know, you mentioned all the organizations you've played for. How different was that 2010 team? I mean, I know it was special. They won the first World Series in Giants history. You guys did. Uh, but you had guys like Pat Burrell. You know, Cody Ross comes in. Uh, it was a different group. Uh, so for you, how, how special was it in that way, just the personalities that you guys had? Well, we had a lot of different personalities going. Uh, it, it was definitely uh, – with Colorado, that was one of the close-knit teams I've been on. I mean, we went to eat the dinner on the road. We, yeah, I mean, it was a really close team. Uh, and that was probably, up to that point, the most special team I've ever been on. Uh, 2010, I wouldn't say we were as close on the road going to dinner and stuff with everybody. We had people that hung out, but we didn't hang out as much of a group as, as Colorado did. But, man, when you got to the field and you crossed those lines, I mean, we were as tight as it got. And we understood everybody's roles. We understood what each person could do. The personalities within the game and on the maybe on the flights and stuff like that were fun. And people were laughing, having a good time. So, like, it was a very dynamic team. Well, all that stuff, right? So it was a really fun uh, team to be a part of, and I really enjoyed it. I, I thought it was, you know, you look back on how winning teams win and what you need, what you need uh, in that situation. We had it. We had we had all of that, and and I I, I speak on how to have uh, how to you know produce in high pressure situations and compete in high pressure situations, and I used a lot of the Giants and and what we did as a team. To kind of almost show that, and I break down what each person did and how they did it, and uh, what they gave to a team and what they uh, uh, produced for a team. And I, I think that was what was important was the the way that team was built and the way that our leader was leading that team. It showed me a lot on how people just should lead in in, in teams, whether it be families or businesses and whatnot. So I feel like. It was something that I learned a lot from. I was very proud to be a part of that team. Now, you guys were never the favorites. I think about 2012 and, you know, game one of the World Series, I think most people thought the Tigers had a great shot to win that against the Giants. But right off the bat, Pablo Sandoval with the three-homer game hits two of them off Justin Verlander. I mean, it was just amazing how everybody stepped up. And was that something that maybe was a benefit that, you know, the outside world wasn't saying that the Giants were the favorites? We were never the favorite. I, I think the only play time we were kind of even somewhere with Kansas City, and that was just because we were both pretty matched up pretty even, you know. 
I think Texas and Detroit, neither neither team was a favorite uh, in the, the 10 or 12 team were favorites. So I think it was because people look at power, right? And analysis, people look at all oh, the home runs they have. And I would always laugh and be like, good pitching will break down good hitting any day of the week. It just will. And the advantage is to the pitcher, especially if he knows what he's doing. So we knew we could pitch. We knew we could take advantage of the holes and swings, especially Detroit that eight days off. I've been a part of a situation like that at Colorado where I saw our hitters, how good they were had eight days off, and they just couldn't get their bats going because they had too many holes. Their, their, their bat speeds were, were dropped off. And I knew that I had expressed that to some of the guys going into that Detroit series and what it's like. And you saw it. I mean, Prince Fielder had a big hole inside that he usually doesn't have. You know, I mean, Cabrera was swinging at balls below the zone. Uh, that it, that hole down and in, uh, if you could fade it, if you could drop you know, some velocity off it, that he usually can speed it, that he can usually adjust to. But he was cheating so bad to get the fastball, he couldn't do it. You know, so there's so many different things like that and we were coming off and we were coming off uh, a incredible loser out series two times in a row tons of momentum guys were locked in focused dealt with a ton of stress already and we're competing in it and so our bat speeds and our pitching was all uh, locked in and and so when Verlander was coming I remember I think it was the second home run he said wow like he couldn't believe that it happened but hey man like we're, we're, we're ready we're locked like that's what we are and I think that was Detroit that was almost a nail in the coffin right away because they figured Verlander was going to win that game and off to a great start and beat him. And then it was like, uh oh, right away for those Detroit players. Uh, what are we going to do now that that the, our our guaranteed guy just got beat? And and I mean, you see how good Verlander's been in in the, in the World Series playoffs. I mean, he's been amazing. So to be able to beat a guy like that it was pretty impressive. And I think that's what was so good about us is we didn't really care who we faced. We were so confident and we had so much going into that series. That we were we were ready for anything. You had great numbers in the postseason. Uh, I've read them off: zero point eight six ERA in the postseason World Series, zero point seven seven. And one of the best moments that you ever had was in Game Four of that two thousand and twelve World Series, eighth inning. You're in there. You got a tie game. You got a runner at first. You got nobody out, and you face Cabrera, Fielder, and Delman Young, and you strike them out in succession. Tell us how you got that yeah. done. Well, it was just, you know, being focused. I knew the first batter that I had walked uh, was a really close pitch on a 3-2 count on a corner. And it was actually really good at bat by that kid. And and we he took some really close pitches. But when you know you have your stuff, like I knew I had my stuff that day, even though I walked a guy in close pitches, I didn't feel like I didn't have my stuff. Sometimes when you walk a guy, it's like, man, I don't know where he's going today. But I had confidence in my stuff. And I was like, ah, that guy got lucky because he could have got rung up right there or I could have got him out and he just kind of battled me and I tipped my hat, but my stuff is there. And I knew it. I knew my sinker was good. I knew my curveball was good. And 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 then, you know, so I just threw what I needed to throw and I stayed focused on what I needed to throw. And when I struck out fielder, you know, on that fastball in, it was because I set him up with a really good curveball. And it even surprised me, to be honest with you. When I threw that curveball, I was like, I caught that ball back, and I was like, man, if I could figure out how to do that every time, I would. I don't even know how I threw that good of a curveball, but you know, like it, you know, and then and then so I knew I could get him out in. But with Cabrera, you know, that was just a split that cut. It looked like a slider, uh, and I think he was reading split and thinking it was going to go the other way, and it went it went it went the, it went the opposite way of what he thought, the opposite way of what I thought it was going to go, and the opposite way of what Buster thought it was going to go. To be honest with you, Buster said he was just glad he caught it. So. <laughs> It was, you know, it, it was one of those things where you, you just had so much movement, so much stuff, and, and the, it was so cold. The batter, the hitters were not locked in. We knew it. So you just, you just knew you had to pound the strike zone, 
stay ahead in the count, keep them defensive, and see what happens. And that's kind of what we did, and that's what I did. And, and striking guys out, I didn't really try to do that. You know, I was trying for a double play the entire time after walking that first guy. So um, I just kind of made pitches that I thought I could get double plays on, and I actually got swings and misses. So that, that's pretty much what happened there. Let's go to Game 7 of the 2014 World Series. You come in second inning. You go two and a third innings, end up getting the win in that Game 7. Uh, and when you were uh, in there in the bottom of the third inning, I was actually watching this game last night. You know, we're all watching different things because we're sitting here at home. And I watched the whole game. And, and one of the things that I noticed, Jeremy, you'll remember, is that you threw over to first base a few times with Hosmer up there and Lorenzo Cain at first base. And I thought that ended up being important. You got that double play, the Joe Panic flip out of the glove double play. But, you know, that could have been a really close play at second base, but you're keeping the runner close. How important is that? Well, it's really important, especially for me, because I'm like a 1-9 to home plate, you know, which is not good. So uh, I knew I had to keep him close. And Kane, he, he was such a good base runner and a good base stealer. And, you know, in the World Series in a game like that, the, the, you let the pressure work for you. So they could think, oh, I could steal off this guy. Yeah, you could steal off me, but I could also pick over. And the risk is, well, if I risk and I, and I steal off him and he picks over and I get picked off at second, I just took this out of the situation for a go-ahead run. So you know that's in the back of their head. So if you pick over a few times, do different looks, it keeps them a little bit more uh, unsure than usual because the game means more, right? The, the game seven means a ton. So y- you knew that you were using some of that pressure to your advantage. I was just trying to let them know, you, you might be able to steal this bag on me. I think you definitely could. But, but I could also pick over. And the odds are I'm not. But if I do, you know, so you're playing that mind game with him. And, and so you were just trying to, do the best you could. But then I also have to worry about the hitter because he's a lefty, but he's really good. And with Hosmer hitting, you didn't want to leave it. I actually left it probably too, too, probably too much out of it. It was an inside sinker that was elevated and probably catches as far in as I wanted it to catch. And so he ended up hitting it up the middle. And I just was thankful that panic made the play made. And, and obviously Crawford has got a cannon at first at, at short. And so he was able to, you know, pretty much take care of business there. And we still had to go to a replay on it, you know, and the only camera that showed he was out was the small, minute camera that's in front of the bag. And that was the only reason they overruled it and called him out was because of that camera that's usually not even in a situation other than the World Series. So there was a lot of things that went in our favor there, but it was also using the pressure. Um, it was also using the pressure of the game to keep guys unsure of what's really going to happen which keeps, which allows them to maybe not be as aggressive, especially on the base paths, as they would want to be in a normal game. Did you think Panic was going to get there? I mean, he hit, that ball was hit pretty hard, and I mean that was a yeah, great timing stop. Yeah, and I actually, when he hit it, I I, I I thought about going after, and I pulled my glove back, and then I was like, oh, that ball's hit too hard. And then you look, and he's there. <laughs> so you you, I literally thought, oh man, you know, like that. I thought that that ball. Uh, the only thing is you have you have a chance if you're thinking the whole thing double play depth, right? Like, okay, we're in double play depth. And honestly, I don't think we started shifting as bad as we started shifting. 2015 is when we started getting really bad with shifts, and I hated it. And, and I did not like pitching the shifts because I didn't pitch to a location. I pitched to my sinker, and I was let the, let the ball hit on the ground where it gets hit on the ground, and you can't guarantee it. So for me, I hated shifts for that reason, especially over shifts. That situation there, we were playing more of a standard double play depth, and I think it allowed him to not be overshifted um, in, in that situation, and so he could get to it. If we were overshifted like you are now, he never gets to it because the second baseman is nowhere near, and the shortstop, he might be able to get to it, but you can't turn a double play because there's no one at second base because he's overshifted. Right, so right. 
so to be honest with you, I absolutely hate shifts, but but it it, it but that one right there with the, with pinching up the middle, the standard double play scenario that you're supposed to have, it worked perfect. And and like I said, thankfully Panic took the right angle. He had to have a quick first step to get to it. It was hit pretty hard. He read it right off the bat, and 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 it was a play that uh, pretty famous play actually if you think about it. Yeah, one of the best plays that you'll see in the World Series. And the first successful yeah. manager challenge in World Series history. How about that? I mean, you That's guys right. waited a long yeah. time, too. That was a long challenge. Yep, yep. Oh, yeah, because they had to check all the different cameras. And like I said, they didn't have – none of them proved it. Uh, none of them proved it and, and then and, and until that one button camera. Before I let you go, uh, the interview after Game 7, you were emotional. I mean, that was Kansas City, a place where you pitched early in your career. Uh, you had that great outing. I mean, that's three World Series rings. Is that something that you think about a lot, just what was running through your veins there uh, after that game? You know, the way Madison Bumgarner took the baseball and went five innings to finish that off. I mean, it had to be, you know, just uh, so nerve-wracking to watch that after you came out of the game to see Mad Bum uh, get that done. How often do you think about it? Uh, you know, I think about it, you know, I think about it from time to time. You know, um, I, I – I think for one, it, I didn't even realize I was so in on that deal that I was so focused that I'm actually been more nervous now. I've seen that game a little bit on TV and, and sometimes watching it. I'm more nervous. I'm watching it, and I'm like, I know what happens, and I'm nervous. I wasn't that nervous uh, pitching in the game. I think you're just so focused um, on what you're doing. You don't, you, you, you don't understand the pressure until it's done. You know, when I was done pitching and Madison took the ball, I, I felt very confident in having the ball. But I was still really nervous, and, and it was a nerve-wracking situation not being in the game. I, I actually was like, I'd rather be pitching right now. I'd be way less nervous. So it, it definitely was an all-around you know, intense game for everybody. Um, uh, but it, it was something I'm very, very thankful I got to be a part of, and I definitely feel honored that I got to be part of that game in that situation because I, I don't think – no one can take it from, from me. No one can take it from anybody who played in that situation, and, and we played – that that 2014 was definitely the was super intense. 2012, 2014, 2012. You know the NLCS, NLDS, 2014 World Series. I mean, you couldn't be in any more high pressure situations than we were put in in, in those three situations over those two years. That I don't think any baseball player has. I, I would be shocked if you could show me statistically any other team that was put in the pressure that we were put in and succeed the way we did. Yeah, it was an amazing run that you guys had. And, Jeremy, thanks so much for doing this. And not only that, I want to thank you again for uh, all of your interviews that you did with us here on this podcast uh, for five years, really. Every homestand, I would come over to your locker. You always said yes. You always said yes. And uh, that is so appreciated. Uh, you really helped out a lot. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate that. That's former Giants lefty Jeremy Affelt. want to thank him and Steve Bicker for joining us today here on Inside China Basin on the Believe Podcast Network. We'll be back again next week with another edition of the podcast from thesportsvirus.com. For now, I'm Joe Castellano. Have a great day, everybody. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.